0: Can, after studying those first three Beatitudes, we can examine ourselves and we can say, Am I a humble person? Am I a compassionate person? Am I a meek person who allows God to take hold of my life and control my life? Because if we are humble, compassionate, and meek, then we are the sort of person that God can use in a mighty way. Last week we saw that a horse that has been broken in is an example of meekness. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, his desires become our desires. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin as well as from the actions of sin. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. When we become a Christian, things start to change in our lives. As we yield to Jesus Christ, we listen for his voice and we obey him in our lives. And so this leads us on to the fourth beatitude, which is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, a lot of people are really scared of that word righteousness. They think that it means someone who is super spiritual, and they think, well, I'm just not like that. I can never be like that. And that word, um, the Greek word for righteousness here, also means justice. And we're going to look at the whole justice side of it next week. God wants us on a micro scale, at an individual level, to be obedient to him and to yield our lives to him. He wants us at a corporate level to seek justice, love mercy and walk humbly in his sight. So next week we're going to be talking about what it means to seek justice for our our Lord and Saviour. But righteousness can be defined as rightness, a desire to obey God and to do the things that he wants us to. And that word hunger and thirst, you just think of a newborn baby. You can take a newborn baby and the mother can cuddle that baby and that baby will work its way to the nipple of the mother. It doesn't have to be trained to do that. That baby is hungering and thirsting for food and milk uh, from the mother. And God wants us to be similar to that. He's saying happy are those who hunger and thirst for doing what is right, for they will be satisfied. Do you want to do the right thing? When you're in a difficult situation, ask yourself, what is the right thing to do here? What will honour God? What would God want me to do in this situation? So when we become a Christian, our life changes. And we get this new nature that hungers and thirsts to do and to be what God wants us to do and to be. And as we feed our new Christ-like nature, God's Holy Spirit is able to live through our lives. We become sensitive to the Holy Spirit we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And the Holy Spirit will deal with our pride, our selfish ambition, and our wrong desires in life. As we are filled with the presence of God, we will begin to radiate the love of God in our lives. So God wants to make each of us a new creation. And this is also expressed in Galatians 2 verse 20 where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Just as Jesus was crucified on the cross, our old life, our carnal life, our worldly life has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you able to say that in relation to your life? So what do we do if we're a Christian who's struggling with temptations and wrong desires? When we accept Jesus to come into our lives, our physical bodies remain the same. We can still have those same thoughts and ungodly desires and negative emotions. Some of you have been to Clint's release group and he's starting a new one up this next week. There's room for more people. If you've got an addiction if there's stuff going on in your life that you're really struggling with, you can go to that group and that course will empower you to deal with some of those addictions and difficulties. Romans 12 verse 2 encourages us not to conform to the pattern of this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what God wants to do in our lives. But it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we will develop a desire to live our lives in obedience to God's truth. But you know, unfortunately, God's truth is no longer respected in this world that we live in. Romans 1 verse 25 tells us that this world has exchanged the truth about God for lies. They worship and serve what God has created, the things of this world, instead of the creator himself. And so God wants to renew our minds Jesus has promised that his truth will set us free. And so our new identity is in Christ. And we desire to become who God says we are as believers in him. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, it describes some of the ungodly behavior that was going on in the Corinthian church. And... um, but then it says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and by the Spirit of our God. We can be doing wrong stuff, but God wants to cleanse us, he wants to sanctify us, he wants to renew us. We may have been involved in some of the things that the world calls alternative lifestyle or a sexual, uh, sexual preference. But we have been washed and cleansed, in the name of Jesus, by the Spirit of God. Our identity now is a child of God. We are children of God. He is our Father. And He is holy, beloved, and righteous and we also can be holy, beloved, and righteous in God's sight. Our previous behavior is inconsistent with who we now are in Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 6, it discusses our new behavior, which is the result of the truth of who we now are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 15 to 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. That phrase do you not know it makes it clear that when we do know who we are in Christ and have our identity in him then we are able to offer our lives to Christ for his use the person motivated solely by the love of god and a love for others is free to do whatever they want if we are acting in love towards everyone, we will not break God's laws. If we choose to obey a lie, then we're doing the same thing that Adam and Eve did. We're saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. This other thing that I'm wanting to do is far more fun than what you say. By identifying God's principles of truth and error, we are able to escape temptation. The first sin of Adam and Eve was their decision to deny God as the only source of truth. They determined for themselves what was good and what was bad. And if our views prevent us from defending the rights of the unborn and the sanctity of the family, then we don't share the same politics as Jesus. We need to seek the peace of God in our lives. When we venture into an area and we start to feel troubled about something, then we know we're getting into dangerous territory. But if we feel God's peace as we move forward, we know we're in the Spirit. We know that He is leading us and guiding us. We've got this abortion bill before Parliament at the moment. And I've seen people who have lost a baby at five months. Miscarriage absolutely devastated. And how could someone with a a living baby inside of them desire to murder that baby, to kill that baby at five months? I just cannot fully understand it. Particularly today when a lot of people can't have their own children and are on waiting lists for adoptions. I mean, the right thing would be to let that baby live and give it to someone that really wants it, will love it, Give it an opportunity to have a full and meaningful life. But termination, it, I just I just don't get it. Seriously, I, I, I really struggle with that one. Matthew 11, verse 30. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If something is causing undue stress, then maybe it's not of the Lord. There was a picture there. It was of a horse pulling a cart. <laughs> that's the one <laughs> okay God's yoke is easy and his burden is light it's not easy for that horse at the moment um, but you know if we're going through life and, uh, and we're all stressed out then maybe we're going down the wrong track because that's a promise my yoke is easy and my burden is light or maybe you've left God behind and you're going on your own course You're doing things your own way. So, uh, every temptation Satan offers us is wrapped up in a lie. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what other people experience. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So if you are in a dead-end street, you've got nowhere to go, seek the Lord, ask for his way. Say, God, what do you want me to do here? Where do you want me to go? And he will provide a way of escape. To defeat that temptation, it's important that we identify the lie and replace it with God's truth. Because if we yield to temptation and we do things that are contrary to the clear will of God, we'll find that they will lead us into feelings of guilt, of fear, and ultimately depression. With God's help, we can walk day by day in his unconditional love and acceptance. We can present our daily experiences to God for his evaluation of truth and error. Be teachable. Ask God, is this the right thing? If God clearly says, you're going down the wrong path here, that's wrong. Back off. Listen to what he's saying to you. We will continue to wrestle with worldly issues all of our lives. But as we persevere... As we continue to do the right thing, those temptations will grow weaker. And over time, the Lord will renew our mind with his truth. Our old identity will be exchanged for a new identity that's based on God's truth. When we give Jesus all that we are, we will receive in return all that Christ is. In 1 Peter 2.24, Christ himself carried our sins in his body to the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. It's possible to die to all those bad things that we're tempted to do and live in the light for God. Romans 6.11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So last week we looked at how an unbroken horse represents us trying to do things in our own strength, in our own efforts. Those who do battle by trusting in their weapons instead of the Lord are put to shame. But those who submit their gifts, abilities and strength to the Lord, they become God's own royal horse that he chooses to ride into battle to advance his kingdom in this world. A horse that's perfectly trained and perfectly submitted to its master. It obeys orders even in the middle of the heat and the confusion of the battle that surrounds us. It's interesting because Moses started his career by taking the law into his own hands and he killed an Egyptian man. As a consequence he spent 40 years living in the desert as God prepared him for his purpose in the future. Then God sent him to confront Pharaoh and backed him up with displays of God's power. As we yield to the Lord and allow him to have his way in our lives, he uses us above and beyond what we consider our potential to be. We can accomplish far more with God in our lives, with God empowering us and leading us than we can in our own strength. God may have intervened in your life in the same way that he did with Moses. You may have been through a desert experience. What if God hadn't intervened in your life? What if he hadn't disciplined you when you needed discipline? Where would you be today? God's mercy and love allows him to make us uncomfortable at times. Don't think that everything's going to be plain sailing. Sometimes God needs to prick the bubble of our pride, our self-will, and our selfish ambition so that we're willing to yield to him and say, "Okay, God, I give up. I'll do things your way. He changes our hearts and motivates us from within. He changes our conscience so that we respond to difficult situations in the way that he desires. In Matthew 22, verses 27 and 29, God promises to write his laws on our hearts and to enable us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We love God so much that we want to obey him because we don't want to harm that amazing relationship we have with him. You know, do you ever feel that you're, you're in the zone where you're really connecting to God? Sometimes it can happen in a church service. A years, years ago, I read a book called The Secret Place, and the author of the book says sometimes he wakes up at night and he feels God's presence really close to him. And he says in the moment, he asks God's, God questions. And God replies. And I'm reading this book and I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I'd love that to happen to me. And that night I woke up in the middle of the night and I had applied for this job in Azerbaijan to be pastor of the Baku International Fellowship. And I had this amazing conversation with God. I said, God, am I going to get this job in Baku? And he said, yes. Why are you sending me there? And he gave me the answer. And I had this conversation, and, we, and I asked all these questions. And when I say he spoke to me, it was just the next thought that came into my mind. And so I get this job in Azerbaijan. When I got over there, I found that there were more than 50 applicants for the job. Most of the people in the church were American, and most of the applicants were American. I got the job. God wanted me over there. And I was in that place where he was speaking to me, and I was able to hear what he was saying. And he can do the same with any one of us at any time. In all all our actions, we can ask ourselves, am I acting in love by behaving in this way? What would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus feel if I did this thing? His spirit within us gives us the grace and the power to do his will. God wants to write the Beatitudes on the tablets of our heart. He wants to change our hearts so that we can have his desires and his feelings. He wants to motivate us from the inside to hunger and thirst for his righteousness so that he can fill and satisfy us with himself. God has chosen to limit himself in one key area in his relationship with each of of us, everyone in the world. God doesn't force himself on people who don't want him around. God is a gentleman. He has manners. He's not rude or obnoxious. He says in James 4 verse 8, Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. When we realise how much we are loved and accepted by our Heavenly Father, we find ourselves loving Him back with all our heart, soul, mind and energy. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, He breaks the power of our worldly nature. We have confidence in God and turn from going our own way to follow Him. I'd like to end with a testimony of this. This is an incredible story. In 1909, Evelyn Brand felt called by God to go to India. That required a lot of faith for a single woman. But then she married a man named Jesse, and they ministered together in rural India for seven years. They saw no fruit But then a Hindu priest developed a fever and grew deathly ill. They nursed him, and he said, This God, Jesus, must be the true God, because only Jesse and Evelyn will care for me in my dying. After this man died, his children were given to Jesse and Evelyn to care for. This was a spiritual turning point people began to examine and follow the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. After 13 years of fruitful service, Jesse died. Evelyn was 50. Everyone expected her to return home to England, but she refused. 20 years later, her son, Paul Brand, who's an eminent eye doctor, he came over to see her and he said this about his mum. This is how to grow old. Allow everything else to fall away until those around you see only love. Her mission board refused to give her another term, but she determined to stay on. She wanted to do what God was telling her to do. She had a hut built and bought a pony to take her around the mountain tracks. For five years, she rode around telling people about Jesus until she fell and broke her hip. Her son Paul said, Mum, you've had a great run. God's used you. It's time to give it up now. You can go back home. She replied, I'm not going. She spent 18 more years travelling from village to village on horseback. She had falls, concussion, sickness, ageing couldn't stop her finally at 93 years of age she couldn't ride her horse anymore so they put her on a stretcher and carried her around the villages for two more years she served the poorest of the poor she did what god asked her to do she died but she never retired she just graduated on into the next life Wow, what an incredible life. Are we making a difference in our lives for the Lord? Jesus said that uh, the greatest among us is the servant of all. And in John 13, verse 35, he said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. God of freedom and gentleness humility, and unimaginable power. We desire to walk through life in your company, with your love, grace, wisdom, and generosity, so that we can see your kingdom come and your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.